Daniel chapter 11. Before we begin our journey of this unique text, let's bow and look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the word of God. It is a sure word of prophecy. It is inspired by you. We would ask that your Holy Spirit would work through this text and accomplish the goal of what it's supposed to do in each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. In Genesis 3.15, you have the first prophetic prediction given in Scripture concerning Jesus Christ. It is predicted that there would be hostility between the seed of the woman and Satan's seed. Satan would bruise Christ on the heel, and Christ would eventually crush Satan's head. Now, typically in the Bible, the emphasis is on the seed of man. It's no coincidence that in Genesis 3.15, it's referred to as seed of the woman because it is predicted Jesus right there would be born of a virgin. He would not have a normal human father. Now, in both of the references to seed, they're singular and they're not plural, which means seed singular of God, seed singular of Satan. That indicates there's one ultimate seed that would come from God, one ultimate seed that would come through Satan. The seed that comes from God, of course, is Jesus Christ, and the seed that comes from Satan is the Antichrist. You and I who know Jesus Christ as Savior are looking and longing for him. We're waiting for the rapture of the church in which we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We in this church do not refer to the rapture as Christ's second coming because at the second coming, Jesus Christ puts his feet on earth a second time. At the rapture, he takes believers home and they meet him in the sky. But after the rapture of the church, the world is going to see another individual who will surface. He certainly is not going to be one who comes from heaven. He will come from hell. He will be Satan's seed and he will step into world history and he will end up for a short time controlling the world. And then he will literally end up in the eternal lake of fire. Alexander the Great is called great because he was a petty prince by age 22 and four years later by age 26 he was master of the world. The Antichrist will become master of the world in a much shorter time span than that. His rise to power after the rapture of the church will be in just months. And for three and a half years, he will be dictator over the world. The Apostle John said, Children, you've heard the Antichrist is coming. And you can be sure he is coming. Even the world knows he's coming. Every now and then, a Hollywood movie will come out which will feature some evil child that's born who's going to grow up to be some satanic dictator of the world. Even the world knows he's coming. And I believe there are things going on right now that would indicate he's alive. He's on the earth. He's somewhere in the world. You may say, well, they've been saying that for years, but I want to tell you things have never been so bad as they are today. We are at a level of evil that is unprecedented in history. Just this past week in the Kalamazoo Gazette, they ran an article that sex scenes on normal television have doubled since 1998. In one hour program of normal television, there are five scenes of immorality every single hour. We live in a world where there are amber alerts because there are child stealers and child molesters and murderers and homosexuality is on the rise. All of it tells us the end is drawing nigh. The economy is a disaster. Predator animals are increasing. Just a month ago in Jackson, Michigan, a horse was killed by a mountain lion. There are on the National Geographic magazines and news programs questions being asked as to why elephants now are charging and killing people and we're heading to a one world government. That's pretty easy to see. 
The Cambridge University historian Arnold Toynbee said only a world government can save mankind from the annihilation of nuclear weapons. And atheism is on the rise. Do you know it was reported this past week that one of the major retail companies are demanding that their people this year will not say Merry Christmas because it brings Christ into Christmas. What they're telling their people they must say is Happy Holidays. Ladies and gentlemen, this has never been seen before in history. This tells us that we are drawing near the end. Now in the Old Testament, there are seven main passages that deal with the Antichrist. Four of these passages are in the book of Daniel. And we're going to look at one of the most powerful one today. There's no question he will be an impressive man. He's going to be a satanic masterpiece who will do many amazing things. He'll have amazing characteristics. He'll be intelligent. He'll have a tremendous speaking ability. He will be a crafty politician who's able to step into history and unite Europe. In fact, he'll unite the whole world. He will have a strong physical appearance. He will be a military genius. He will appear to have a real caring interest in Israel when he rises to the scene. He'll be a very immoral man. Behind the scenes in his heart, he'll be a God-hater and God-mocker, although he will initially give the impression that he believes in God. And he will do the miraculous. And he'll do that miraculous powered by Satan. He's called the prince who is to come in Daniel. He's called the man of lawlessness and son of darkness in 2 Thessalonians. He's called the beast who comes out of the sea in Revelation. And he's called the Antichrist in John. We come from Daniel to one of the most amazing prophecies in all of Scripture. It's the most graphic in the Old Testament description concerning the person and work of an Antichrist. God lets us see in these verses and track his movements. We see his evil and we even see what's going to happen. Now up to this point in our study of what's been going on in movements of prophecy, the prophecies that we've seen in Daniel have been very specifically fulfilled by the Babylonian power, by the Persian power, by the Greece power, and even in part by Rome. But when we come to Daniel chapter 11, verses 36 to 45, we come to a section which has never been fulfilled. But you may be certain, just as those other prophecies were specifically fulfilled, so there will be specific fulfillment of these prophecies when God orders and permits these events to occur. It will be these final events that will lead to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now there's a lesson that we want to see, and that is Daniel is given a specific description of the character and work of the Antichrist that God's people may know and be encouraged that eventually... This diabolical leader will come to his end and Jesus Christ will reign. Now the career and the destiny of the Antichrist is completely set up and controlled by God. What you don't see is that there is a time gap between verse 35 of chapter 11 and verse 36. The events in Daniel 11, 1 to 35, have already been fulfilled, at least to this point in history. But the events that are described in verse 36 on are yet to be fulfilled. When these events occur, a key world figure will be set on the world stage, and this world figure is the Antichrist. He will unite European powers to the point that he controls the world. And oftentimes people will say, well, what will happen to the United States? Well, if you think about the history of the United States, ladies and gentlemen, originally we have come from land that was part of the Roman Empire. That's a fact. And it's very possible that once the rapture occurs, this country is going to revert back to its Roman roots. In fact, it seems to me it's becoming more and more evident that we are being united to the world as we've never seen it before. In the last political election, many wanted to join the United Nations to get permission from them to defend ourselves in war. 
This is going to be escalating as we near the end, more and more of a unity, and it wouldn't surprise me if the United States reverts back to joining the Roman Empire. Now, there are ten specific facts that are brought out about the Antichrist I want to show you this morning. Fact number one, the Antichrist will do as he pleases in the world. That's what verse 36 says. Then the king will do as he pleases. Now, we may recall that when Jesus Christ came to earth, he said, I did not come to do my will. I came to do my Father's will. Jesus emptied himself. When the Antichrist comes, he'll be just the opposite of Jesus Christ. He'll not be coming to do God's will. He's coming to do Satan's will. He's not coming to empty himself. He's coming to exalt himself. The text here says in verse 36, he will do as he pleases concerning himself. No restraints will he place on himself. He'll be a total dictator. He will do as he pleases concerning God. He'll be a blasphemer of the true God. And he will do as he pleases concerning prosperity. He will flourish in every way. He'll have great wealth. He'll appear to be a success story to the world. Now, ladies and gentlemen, don't be duped into believing that just because a person is successful, that that automatically means he's blessed of God. The fact of the matter is, in the seven churches in the book of Revelation, the most wealthy church, the one that from all physical appearances had the blessings of God, was the church of Laodicea. And it was to that church that Jesus Christ said, I'll spit you out of my mouth. The Antichrist reign will last seven years, and then he's going to be destroyed. And one might ask, why would God even allow this diabolical agent of hell to exist? Well, the reason why God's going to let the Antichrist come into power is because he's going to help fulfill God's timing of indignation. God's nation Israel rebelled against God. He's going to allow a certain level of punishment to come to that nation. He's decreed that a certain amount of horrific things are going to happen to his people as judgment in anger for her sins and anger for her unbelief. And he will not pull the plug on the Antichrist or pull the plug on Satan until his indignation is finished. And then he will bring Israel to her land and she will live at peace. Now the second fact about the Antichrist is the Antichrist will show no regard to anyone but himself. Verse 37. Now there are three areas spelled out in verse 37 that indicate this Antichrist is going to be one diabolical agent. First of all, he has no respect for religious heritage. The text says he'll show no regard for the gods of his fathers. Now some have suggested when he uses that phrase, gods of his fathers, that it's a reference to the fact that the Antichrist is Jewish. However, the phraseology here in Hebrew is not the typical phraseology referring to the Jewish God, Jehovah God of fathers. That's frequently used when referring to the God of Israel. The phrase God of fathers refers to various gods that people believed in when the Antichrist surfaced. It seems to me what we're learning from verse 37 is that this Antichrist will have been raised in some religious home, and this religious home probably taught him you respect all religions. But no religious upbringing will influence him. In other words, the Antichrist will dismiss all religion except that of himself. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul predicted would be the operation mindset of the Antichrist. He says in 2 Thessalonians 2.4 that the Antichrist would oppose every so-called God or object of worship. Now the world is ripe for this one because the world presently promotes you respect all religions. When we lived out west in the Wasatch Valley, north of Salt Lake City, there were some Christians who they didn't want to say anything negative against Mormonism. Even though Mormonism denied the Lord Jesus Christ, made mockery of who he was, and really was a religion that was thrusting people into hell, there were people who said, we don't want to say a negative thing against them, we want to respect them. The Antichrist is going to come out of that kind of mindset. A home that teaches him you respect all religions, regardless if that religion sends people to hell, you respect it. But he won't. 
respect any religion. He'll disregard it all. He'll be an atheist who only believes in himself and worships himself. The second area in which the Antichrist will show no respect for anybody himself is that he will have no respect or desire of women. It is brought out in verse 37, or for the desire of women. Now, there are three possibilities as to what that could mean. It may mean he'll have no regard for Jewish women, even if they're going to have a baby, because Jesus predicted in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 19 that he will kill Jewish women. In fact, he warns in that text, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, that is, when the Antichrist sets up in the temple of Jerusalem and demands that he be worshipped, you get out of that town as quick as you can and woe to those who are pregnant. Now, if that's true, the Lacey-Peterson law will mean nothing to the Antichrist. It doesn't matter whether he'll kill a woman or kill a woman with child. He'll have no respect at all for women. It also may mean that he will not listen to or be drawn to any woman. It's interesting that in 1942, I ran across a famous radio preacher who identified the Antichrist as being Adolf Hitler. And one of the arguments that he used for the Antichrist being Adolf Hitler was the fact that Hitler did not have the normal attraction to a member of the opposite sex that most men have. It also is possible that this means he will have homosexual tendencies and actually be a homosexual. As we near the end of the church age, we do know, according to 1 Timothy chapter 4, there is going to be a demonic attack against a marriage between a man and a woman. More and more, there is going to be an emphasis on same-sex marriages, but not marriages between men and women, and this Antichrist will not be drawn to any woman. The third possible interpretation is, he may mean the desire of Jewish women for the coming Messiah he will completely disregard. Jewish women have longed for the day when the Messiah will come and reign in the land. He will certainly oppose any messianic hope. In other words, this diabolical agent will show no respect for the desire of women. The third area in which he exalts himself is that he will magnify himself. Verse 37, he will magnify himself above them all. This man will deify himself as God. He will set himself up in the temple and demand that he be worshipped as God. He'll demand that people take his mark. He'll demand that people be united to him. They will not be able to buy or sell. He's going to display himself as God. He will show no regard for anyone except himself. Now the third fact is the Antichrist will honor and worship war and all it gets him. Notice verse 38. But instead he will honor a God of fortresses. Dr. Renald Showers of Friends of Israel Ministry said, Whatever a man devotes himself to, including all of his abilities, all of his efforts, all of his time and resources, that's his God. For the Antichrist, his God's going to be war. In fact, he'll use his own wealth to promote war. Now, the writer of Hebrews said to believers that we are to pursue peace with all men. When the Antichrist surfaces, he'll be just the opposite. He'll be pursuing war with all men. He'll launch attacks on other nations, and frankly, he's going to conquer them for a while. This is a man who will be given over to killing and conquering. Now, ever since you searched the scriptures from the days of Cain and Abel, there exists within human hearts in some people a desire for war. Why do you think there was an invention of knives and clubs and swords and gunpowder and rifles and pistols and shotguns? Why do you think there exist battleships and tanks and bomber airplanes and missiles and nuclear weapons? These are war instruments. These are war instruments, and some love war. But this one will love it at a greater level than anyone who's ever existed before in history. This one will love to go to war, and he will promote war. He not only loves the military, but he will love what the military can do for him. 
He will have the military under his control for a while and he'll be directing them to gaining more power and possessions and prosperity. And of course, he's going to take this military to conquer the world. He'll be an impressive military commander. He will promote and praise military accomplishments. And keep in mind, behind all of this is the work of Satan. And we quickly see then, ladies and gentlemen, who it is that loves war, one that's satanic. There are warmongers. There are people who do not want peace. You see, God's spirit is always promoting peace and harmony. Those who always want to be at war are of the devil. The fourth fact about the Antichrist is he will go to war with the strongest of military powers. Verse 39 says that he'll take action against the strongest of fortresses. Now, I would assume that that would include the United States if we are already aligned with him. Let's face it, we have the greatest military force in the world right now. If this Antichrist rises as a European leader, you better believe we are the strongest power he would shoot at. The text says he's going to give great honor to those who follow him. He'll divide them up and put them in charge of places. In fact, notice carefully what is said in verse 39. The help of a foreign god, he will give great honor to those who acknowledge him and will cause them to rule over many and will parcel out land for a price. He's going to redivide the world. He's going to actually redivide the world and parcel it out for a price, those that unite with him. I don't think it's a coincidence that just recently right here in the Kalamazoo area, it was revealed that government can take your land. That's not just a coincidence that's going on here, that if they think that they can do something with it for better expansion purposes, they can just take it away from you. It'll be interesting to see what would go down in the tribulation when you think ever since the Louisiana Purchase, we have owned the land that's been west of the Missouri. It's interesting that we had to take that land from the Spanish, the French, the British. I wonder what's going to happen to that, to those Rocky Mountain regions, when all of a sudden the Antichrist controls the world. But the third fact that's brought out is that he's empowered by a foreign god. And that god is none other than Satan. The text says in verse 39 that he is gaining the help of a foreign god. This is a satanic man. He has a self-willed, power-crazed, war-promoting drive. He's an immoral monster who's Satan's masterpiece. He's out for war, but his real concern is for himself. The fifth fact is the Antichrist will be attacked from the king of the south and king of the north. Notice verse 40. And in the end time, the king of the south will collide with him and the king of the north will storm against him with chariots and horsemen and with many ships and he will enter countries, overflow them and pass through them. Now verse 40 begins a section that we would say we're moving toward the end. Now the coordinates that are given in this verse, north and south, are given in regard to the promised land of Israel. And in the context of what we saw when we came through the previous verses of Daniel 11, the south would be Egypt and the north would be Syria. That would be the most logical contextual interpretation. Now some believe the north that's being referred to is Russia. I don't think so. I think we're still in the context of what Daniel was writing in the previous verses. So the north is Syria and the south is Egypt. And although some believe it's Russia, I think Russia comes from the far north and plays a different role here. Now, as near as I can determine, at the beginning of the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to enter into a peace agreement with the nation Israel. He's going to establish a covenantal peace treaty with Israel. Daniel 9.27 taught us that. When he enters into that peace treaty with Israel, he's going to grant her her land. He's going to promise to protect her in her land. He's going to rebuild the temple, and he's going to reestablish Jewish worship. Now, all of this happens at the end time. So we're moving toward this end time, the time of Jacob's trouble. In fact, that's a reference to the time of Jacob's trouble that leads to the end. There's apparently going to be 
some attack from the south, an attack from the north that's going to come upon Israel after the Antichrist has entered into this peace treaty with her. Syria and Egypt are going to attack Israel, one from the north, one from the south. When the Antichrist, who's somewhere headquartered in Europe, learns that Israel is under attack, he's going to leave his European headquarters and he's going to pass through many countries on his way to the beautiful land. And we know, according to Revelation chapter 17, that he is in control of ten kings who have given their power to him. We also know that those ten kings are going to go on an all-out assault against the Arabs and Islamic religion because they're going to wipe them out. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, I personally believe this is what terrorism is doing in the prophetic program of God right now. It's building a momentum against Muslims and Islamic Arabs that in the tribulation period the Antichrist is going to use to sweep down and wipe out many of those countries. And it will be the military threat from Egypt and Syria that's boxing Israel in that will cause the Antichrist to go to Jerusalem. And eventually it will be that which becomes a prelude which culminates in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, do you think there's a possibility of a war between Israel and Syria? Do you think there's a possibility of a war between Israel and Egypt? Just this past week, Condoleezza Rice warned Egypt and warned Syria not to allow terrorists to stand against the United States and against Israel. Two weeks ago, Israel Today reported this, and I read it. Revelations about Syria's chemical weapons program couldn't come at a worse time. Currently, Syria is under tremendous pressure from the international community to cooperate with the United Nations investigators who are looking into the assassination of the former Lebanese prime minister. The United States, Britain, and France, all permanent security members, have proposed a resolution threatening tough sanctions on Syria if it doesn't cooperate with the UN probe. Many experts believe that a large-scale confrontation between Israel and its neighbors could be on the near horizon. Ladies and gentlemen, the stage is set right now for this Antichrist. The sixth fact is the Antichrist will enter the promised land of Israel, verse 41. He will also enter the beautiful land. Now when we're tracking the movements of this Antichrist, he's coming out of Europe, he's coming from north down to south. When the Antichrist learns that Israel has been attacked from the north and the south, he's going to rush to her aid. He will initially appear that he's in support of Israel. He'll move from north to south. He's going to take over many countries. In the wake of his journey from Europe down to the Middle East, there are going to be many countries that will fall and many Arab nations will fall. In fact, some of them are named there. Edom, Moab, the foremost sons of Ammon, although they'll not completely be wiped out. Those are people that are from the line of Ishmael. These are places that today is modern-day Jordan, and there are going to be many Arabs that are going to fall. Now, ladies and gentlemen, God is going to use the Antichrist to crush Arab powers who have so humiliated and dominated Israel. He warns that and predicts that in Isaiah 10 and Isaiah 14, those scriptures we read today. In fact, in Revelation 17, 17, when the Antichrist and those kings move against the Arab powers, God says, I've put this military action in their hearts and minds. Now, you think about this, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Antichrist. He's the satanic masterpiece, and God is calling the shots. He's putting things in his heart and in his mind. He's putting ideas. You go here, you do this, because he's bringing this to his end. And God is clear to point out that some will also be rescued out of his hand. I believe one of the reasons why God's going to rescue some out of his hand is because they will become a haven for Jews when they flee Jerusalem, when the Antichrist begins his assault 
against her. The seventh fact is the Antichrist will go to war against other countries. Notice verse 42. Then he will stretch out his hand against other countries, and the land of Egypt will not escape. When he first comes down through Israel, he's not focused on hurting Israel. He's going to move right through her. He's going to go down to Egypt and then into North Africa. He apparently moves from Syria to Egypt. He doesn't conquer powers to the east of the Jordan. He just goes right on through Israel, appearing to be her friend. He goes down into Egypt, on into northern Africa. He's going to conquer that part of the world. Uh, we read in Isaiah, he's not going to kill them all because we see that there will come a day when some of the Egyptians, some of the Assyrians will be worshiping with Israel in the millennium. The eighth fact is the Antichrist will gain control over treasures of many Arab nations. Notice verse 43, but he will gain control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver over all precious things of Egypt and Libyans and Ethiopians will follow at his heels. Now he's going to strike Egypt, Libya, and Ethiopia. He's going to conquer a lot of this part of the world. That's clearly predicted. He's not going to completely destroy Libya and Ethiopia. And in fact, it's possible they're going to end up chasing him. That phrase, follow at his heels, may mean that they're going to submit to the Antichrist, or it also may mean they're going to chase the Antichrist. What ultimately enables them to chase the Antichrist is that he turns around. In fact, it's this next point that causes him to turn around. What I want you to see before we look at this next point, though, is that God is the one who's controlling all of this. He's causing them to move here and there because he's fulfilling his specific plan of prophecy. The ninth fact is the Antichrist will learn of rumors of major powers moving against him. Notice verse 44, but rumors from the east and from the north will disturb him, and he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and annihilate many. Now the Antichrist, as he's down there conquering Egypt and North Africa, is going to hear about some very disturbing news. There are powers coming from the east, probably a massive 200 million man army coming from the direction of China. He's also going to hear about a power that's coming up out of the north, probably rumors about Russia. They're coming after him. And do you think it's a coincidence that just recently Russia and China participated in combined military maneuvers? Do you think that's just happenstance that they got together for combined military maneuvers? They're setting the stage for this very event you're reading in Daniel. When he hears that these powers are coming against him, this will cause him to turn around. And he's going to start pouring out his wrath on any power. And it's interesting. As we read this morning, God himself is going to stop Russia before she gets into Israel. Russia is going to move down to Israel, but before she gets to Jerusalem, God himself is going to strike her down in the mountains. But the world powers heading to Jerusalem are all coming. You've got them coming from the north. You have them coming from the east. You have them chasing the Antichrist from the south. And ladies and gentlemen, with the world powers moving in and converging on Israel, you're setting the stage for the battle of Armageddon. You see, ladies and gentlemen, many wars in the Middle East are all being controlled by God. All these national powers are moving toward and converging on this little piece of property known as Israel. And they're going to be brought to one specific place, the Valley of Megiddo. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where Armageddon battle is going to be fought. It's not some intergalactic fairy tale story for science fiction movies. It's a physical war that will literally be fought in the valley north of Jerusalem. This is the war that will end all wars. Now the tenth fact is the Antichrist will pitch his tents in Israel's promised land and come to his end. Look at verse 45. He will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain, yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. Nations are going to come up against Israel. 
and God's going to crush them all. By the time the Antichrist gets to the Jerusalem area, God has already dropped Russia dead in her tracks. So the Antichrist, I'm sure, is going to say, look what I did. Russia was coming after you from the north, but I stopped her dead. He's going to take credit for this. He'll say he did it by his own power. He's going to make Jerusalem his headquarters. This will be one Middle East mess and disaster zone. The Antichrist will actually live now in this part of the world. Between the seas is a reference to the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. When it says he pitched his tent on the holy mountain, it refers to the fact that he's in the Jerusalem area on the mount on which the temple stands. The Antichrist will actually physically be in Jerusalem and demand that he be worshipped. He'll put a statue of himself in the Holy of Holies and he will demand that people worship him. And literally, he will exterminate every Jew who refuses. But no matter how satanic this attack will be, no one will ever be able to annihilate Israel. Because in the end, those who try are destroyed by God. Now this diabolical agent started in Europe. And he has been a warmonger. And now he sweeps down in the Middle East. And now he's in Israel. And what he doesn't realize is God has moved him like a chess piece to exactly the point he wants him to be. Because as he's setting up his headquarters in the Jerusalem area, it's right here where he is going to come to his end. It's right here where he will meet Jesus Christ. You see, he made his headquarters in the very area where Jesus Christ is coming a second time. And God brought him through all these historical means to the very place that he wants him to meet his son. And the scriptures are very clear that when he meets Jesus Christ, Christ, according to Revelation 19.20, will take him and cast him alive into hell. And it won't matter how rich he was. It won't matter how many nations respected him or aligned themselves with him. It won't matter how successful or powerful he became. He had to face Jesus Christ. You see, one may strut around for a while as proud as one can be. One may think they're calling the shots of their own lives. One may think they never have to worry about anything. There'll never be consequences. There'll never be an accounting. One may think I'm in control of my own world. I'm in control of my own destiny. But remember this. There ought to be one thought in the back of your mind. There is a day when I will face Jesus Christ. Now, you and I who know the Lord are not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for Jesus Christ. Are you ready to meet him? The world suspects that we're nearing the end. Barbara Streisand, the disturbed Jewish singer and actress, said, I believe the world is coming to an end. I just feel it. The world knows we're moving to the end. Where's your heart today? Look at this world. It's a mess. But this mess of a stage is the stage that sets the agenda of God. And when Jesus Christ raptures the church, you want to be one who's raptured. Believe on him and you'll be saved. May we pray. Are you ready to meet the Lord? The time is drawing near. These are evil days. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior right now in this moment, you pray something like this. God, I'm a sinner. I know it. I thank you that Christ died for me. And right now I invite him into my life to be my Savior. If you're here and you know the Lord, listen, the day is coming when we're going to face the Lord. Start making right decisions in light of Scripture. Live your life for the glory of God in these final moments of the church age. Father, thank you so much for your precious word. It is so relevant 
to this very Sunday in which we live. I pray, God, that you will use your word to minister to our minds and hearts. I pray, Lord, that when the rapture occurs, you'll be pleased with us. You'll be able to say to me and to those that are affiliated here, well done, good and faithful servants. Keep us like Daniel, focused on understanding and learning the word as we wait for the blessed moment of the return of the Lord. For anything that you've accomplished here today, we thank you and praise you. It's your work. In Jesus' name, amen.